This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and coming up, we'll talk to the folks at Easy Invest about, among other things, opportunities in real estate investment. But first, it's a look at the consumer news headlines from the past week. The cost of money went up again, with the Bank of Canada announcing another three quarters of a percentage increase to its key interest rate on Wednesday, which now sits at three and a quarter percent. It's uh, the fifth consecutive interest rate increase this year. And for some, the strain on their wallet is becoming unbearable. Financial planners such as Taz Rajan at Bromwich and Smith says now is the time to take stock of your spending and get your budget in check. Rajan says to keep in mind that things may get worse before they get better. Have we entered a buyer's market for real estate? According to the BC Real Estate Association, some parts of the province are starting to become just that, with predictions that sales are going to drop by almost 35% in the coming quarter. It's worth pointing out that this 35% number isn't in the prices. It's in the number of properties being sold, but obviously that has some effect. After this quarter, the BCREA is forecasting an additional 5% drop next year. The association's chief economist, Brendan Ogmanson, says it's mainly due to higher interest rates. And because of that, he predicts activity in the housing markets will likely fall well below normal over the next year. But how long will the downturn last? Not long, according to the BCREA. Given the population growth, especially in the lower mainland, as well as pent-up demand for many to get into the market, Ogmanson says in the coming years, there will be no shortage of demand for housing in the province. And with all that downward pressure on housing prices, it must mean that renting is getting cheaper. Not so much, according to a new survey of the average rent in the Lower Mainland. As we get settled into September, Metro Vancouver rental prices have increased month over month again, climbing $71 to an average of $2,247 a month for an unfurnished one-bedroom unit. That's the average cost for Metro Vancouver. And this is all according to Live.Rent's latest report. Along with that $71 average increase for September, rents went up an average $147 for August in the Lower Mainland. So will rents continue to climb as we wind down 2022? Live.Rent says now that students are largely settled, the competition for places to rent may relax, and that could mean cheaper rents. The biggest rent increases, by the way, were in West Van, up more than 25% month to month. Richmond saw their average rents drop just under 12%. And downtown Vancouver is still the city's priciest neighborhood this September, climbing to an average of $2,931 a month for an unfurnished one-bedroom unit in downtown Vancouver. And God save the king! That sounds a little strange, but we'll have to get used to it. Now that Queen Elizabeth II has passed on at the age of 96 and her son Charles will take over as the new king of England immediately. So what does that mean for our money? We have had a likeness on our money of the reigning monarch, 
uh, since the Royal Canadian Mint started production in 1908? The short, short answer is it's going to take a while. The Mint says a change in Monarch doesn't require a wholesale replacement of coins and bills and will not disrupt daily commerce requiring the use of coins and bills. And when you think about it, you can still occasionally see a coin with King George VI on it. Uh, This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And whether it's the stock market or real estate, the world has been a tricky place for investors in 2022. And when we come back, we'll talk to the folks at Easy Invest about taking advantage of um, things like the real estate market in the Lower Mainland, some interesting strategies for making your money grow. That's coming up next on Vancouver Consumer. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong and this is Vancouver Consumer. And 2022 has been a tricky year for investors. And it's all the more reason you need a licensed professional to help you navigate these waters. And Easy Invest is just that, an exempt market dealer in Richmond. You can find them online at easy-invest.ca. And with me now is Ralph Vanderwall, the founder of Easy Invest. How are you, Ralph? I'm doing fine. Good morning, Martin. Excellent. And and uh, we're going to talk uh, about something that a lot of people have, uh, you know, uh, some concerns about at the moment, the real estate market. And uh, you have some uh, really interesting insight into the real estate market in, in the lower mainland, which is obviously a, a very interesting real estate market. But before we start, let's talk about the fact that you're an exempt market dealer. And that's very important, but I think a lot of people might not know exactly what that means. What is an exempt market dealer? An exempt market dealer is basically the gatekeeper to the market for investors that do not want to go into stocks, publicly traded funds. They don't want to go into mutual funds offered by the bank with fairly low returns usually. An exempt market dealer offers private investments into private companies. And there are literally thousands of private companies offering investments in all resources that you can think of. Pharmaceuticals, financials, resources, mining, everything. Even very large companies such as Mercedes-Benz, when they pick up hundreds of millions of dollars to facilitate leasing cars, they will go to the exempt market because it is easier to access. Now, what does the word exempt mean? If you buy stocks in a publicly traded company, that company needs to offer what's called a prospectus. It's a very, very thick document. takes about a year and a half to prepare by a large law firm, very onerous, very expensive. But now you can offer stocks on a publicly traded platform, such as the TSX. Now, there are countless more smaller companies that want to access private funds, but they don't want to go through that process. So they offer what's called an exempt distribution, exempt investment. They're exempt from offering that through a prospectus. Instead, they offer investment documents that are smaller in scope. They're still quite onerous, and they're still filed with the Securities Commission. They're still regulated, but they're called offering memorandums or term sheets. Now you have to go through an exempt market dealer. So an exempt market dealer is basically an investment dealer that instead of dealing with publicly traded stocks, deals with private investments into private companies. 
Right. So, so this sounds to me like a really good opportunity to, to sort of, to access businesses that are doing well, no matter what the, the market is doing. There are, like I said, countless of offerings in the exempt market in, in just about every resource. What we do here at Easy Invest in Richmond is we specialize in real estate. Our whole team's made up out of real estate investors, and we founded Easy Invest a couple of years ago, about five years ago, to facilitate investments into real estate. So that's our specialized sector. Right. We're talking to Ralph Vanderwall, the founder of Easy Invest. You can find them online, easy-invest.ca, and find out about all the things they do. And uh, what we want to talk about this afternoon is opportunities in real estate. Now, first off, let, let's get your take on where we are in real estate. Obviously, real estate um, in the Lower Mainland and in places like Toronto um, um, some would say it's insane. The, you know, the prices are through the roof uh, and everyone's wondering, you know, what's going to happen to it. Let me get your take on the state of real estate in Canada and especially here in the Lower Mainland right now. You know, Martin, I'll discuss it in two segments, but but just for, for fun, I, I did some searching this week on past comments of the public on what you call the insane real estate market. And <laughs> I, would, I would call it at least insane. I mean, the prices right. are completely off the scale in, in Vancouver and Toronto and many other places in Canada as well. If you Google Vancouver real estate market, you'll come up on public blogs going as far back as the early 2000s, where prices of homes are you know, $200,000 or $250,000 in the greater Vancouver area. And people are calling those prices insane and unaffordable. And then you go to blogs that, are, that date back to 2008, 2010, and they're calling prices unaffordable. <laughs> and it's going to crash, and it's a bubble. And there's just this trend over decades of real estate going up and going up and going up. So there's really a couple of different segments to discuss why we are in this incredible mess, because it really is. So look, let's take a look at Vancouver and Toronto, the biggest urban centers here in, in Canada. Okay. Literally, we have an obscene rate of housing unaffordability. And why are we here? It's the results of decades of really bad government policy on all levels, municipal, provincial, and federal. So again, let's put it into perspective. The average cost of a house in Vancouver's west side in 1985 was $200,000. Right. Toronto was 109000 So if you just have for inflation, that's about $264,000 today. Now, if you go shopping for a house in west side Vancouver you'll probably be looking at $3.5 million and up. And the sky's the limit. So it's a crisis. And why are we here? It's a crisis entirely by our own doing, meaning government policy. Now, Canada is the world's largest landmass. Like, it doesn't look like we have any shortage of trees and all the other materials right. you need to make houses of. But due to a number of man-made reasons, we don't only have the worst housing shortage we also have the highest differential between income and housing prices in the G7. So it's basically a policy choice that either you are in a position that you cannot afford a house or you can make lots of money on houses. So there's a whole bunch of factors at play here that we can discuss. Right. Okay, let, well, let's discuss some of these factors and how people um, you know, can take advantage of this situation with their investments. So one is debt. Debt basically shouldn't be free. Now, for decades now, the Bank of Canada has kept interest rates at basically nothing, even though recently they've been rising. 
Historically, mm-hmm. over the last 50 years, you can look this up, interest rates were about 7.7%. You know, with some higher peaks in the 80s and again in the 90s, in the early 80s, it went as high as 20 to 22%. But for years, they were much lower, at times even below 1%. So mortgage debt is basically free money. So if you, you didn't have an option, if you keep, keep your money in the bank at that time, it would mm-hmm. lose more in inflation each year than it could ever earn an interest. Now, mortgage debt isn't much different than any other commodity. If something is really cheap, people tend to buy more of it. And when you've got more housing money to apply, you can buy more house or you can invest in multiple houses, which is obviously what we're seeing here in Vancouver. Now, if interest rates were at average historical levels, people would be forced to buy less house with much less debt and more down payment. There likely would be no overbidding little speculation, mm-hmm. and, and the markets would return to a more level field. The bottom line, however, is that this is not really an option anymore, as so many people are so far in debt, consumer debt, as governments are, that significant interest rates increases will slow down the whole economy. Now, rates have increased recently to try to slow down the market a little bit, but in my humble opinion, they won't be able to be raised much more if the Bank of Canada doesn't want to drive this whole country straight into a recession. Right. And because they they went down again last week. So so do you foresee uh, the kind of plateauing where it is now at about what is it? Three and three quarters percent or something? Yeah. Well, nobody's got a crystal ball, right? I mean, nobody saw the recessions coming in the early 80s with the National Energy Program. Then in the mid 90s, the dot com crash before that, after that, 2008. But I think, because government is is likely the biggest debtor in the country, I don't know what our debt is right now, you can look it up, it's probably over a trillion dollars, they pay interest as well. So if interest rates rise, then the government gets into huge financial difficulty as well. So I think there's a plateau. Now, again, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think interest rates cannot really rise that much more, or basically the whole economy will come to a standstill. Right. Right. So, so what does this mean for investors? Um, you know, like it, it, it seems at the moment, like there, there's, there's nowhere for it to go, but what's your prediction there for investors and, and what kind of advice do you have and what can easy invest, um, do for investors in this department? You know, you're asking a guy that loves real estate. I, I basically, <laughs> I got most of my portfolio out of the stock market. I've got a small portfolio still. My son, who is still a minor, I've got his portfolio in the stock market. But real estate over history has always been a very safe investment. As long as you don't buy, for example, in small towns or you invest in small towns that are dependent on one industry, for example, a lumber mill or a mine, because that if, if that lumber mill shuts down, then you might lose all your tenants or you might lose the value of the buildings that you own there. But overall, if you look at the history of Vancouver and Toronto real estate over the past 35-odd years, there are corrections. But if you stay in real estate, whether that's through a trust or through an investment or you own property yourself, then you will have done very well. Right. And and we we talk a lot about the supply, the the inventory, the amount of homes that are available for people. And that's a problem uh that's not going away. You don't see a situation where they're just going to build a ton of new homes for people and the supply will suddenly magically be enough for everybody. That's basically coming to the second factor at play here. So the first factor we just discussed is debt, right? Debt shouldn't be mm-hmm. free. Second is 
zoning. Zoning in Canada is, I'm looking for a polite word, it is very backward. On most Canadian urban land, including in major centres like Vancouver and Toronto, it's impossible to build anything except a single-family home. So let's say you want to invest in a 50- or 60-year-old one-level rancher that needs everything, and you want to replace it with an apartment building, zoning bylaws will make this impossible. Now, you can try to change the zoning, which I have done. I've been in land syndication for over uh, almost 15 years. Now, you need to be ready for endless expensive council meetings. You need to provide lots of studies, very expensive. And then every single neighbor around that property that you just bought with time on their hands can petition to have your plan shut down because they don't want an apartment building right next to their house. Now, Vancouver is making an exception. Obviously, the crisis here is of epic proportions. A lot of people basically cannot afford to live here anymore. So Vancouver is now considering a much higher density for many streets. I think they adopted the plan in July. Now it needs to be uh, voted on by council. Likely that won't happen until the election's over in October. Now what they will try to do, they will allow hundreds of higher buildings all over the city. Uh, however, we're developers as well here in this office in different corporations. So we're so far down the rabbit hole of these insane prices that developers will likely offer any of these additional units that they can now be building at the same crazy prices as we have so many people here with lots of extra cash to buy these things. Wow. So some some really interesting takes on on where the, the market is heading with some, I mean, really common sense kind of uh, uh, thinking going into to how we got here in the real estate market, especially in the lower mainland and where it's going and how to take advantage of it. Uh, Ralph Vanderwall is with us from Easy Invest. Uh, if you want to go to easy-invest.ca, their website, you can find out more about them. You're in Richmond. And uh, when we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the future of real estate in uh, the Lower Mainland and in, in Canada uh, as well. And uh, it, it's interesting how I, I guess people, they they sort of, uh, they they expect too much on both ends. They expect it's going to go through the roof forever, but they also expect it's going to, the bottom's going to fall out. And uh, I think none of that is definitely not going to happen, according to my to my guest, Ralph Vanderwall from Easy Invest. And when we come back, we'll talk about that and, and some of the, the services that Easy Invest provides. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong, and uh, we'll be back right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. It's Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and my guest this afternoon is Ralph Vanderwall, the founder of Easy Invest, uh, a place you can uh, get to know by going online at easy-invest.ca. Ralph is a real estate investor for the last 20 years and as the founder of Easy Invest, an exempt market dealer in Richmond. He's also one of the founders of the Western Canada Monthly Income Fund, a mutual fund trust that invests in local real estate. And Ralph, we've been talking about um, Vancouver real estate and and how we got here. The, I mean, it, it is unaffordable for many, many people. 
but uh, it's a situation that is not going to fix itself overnight, and uh, people can 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 uh, take advantage of that with Easy Invest. And uh, let's talk uh, some more about what you expect to happen, because one of the things that that doesn't get talked about a lot when it comes to to housing prices in the lower mainland is immigration because there's lots of it and that is that helps prop up the cost of of real estate in in the lower mainland doesn't it absolutely yeah so that there's a couple of factors that that keep this market so inflated and I've, I've heard many people ask me over the last 30 odd years or so you know even when i was not in real estate investing yet you know when's the bottom going to fall out Well, as long as these factors keep driving things up, the fundamentals are still there. I really don't see, you know, beyond small corrections here and there, like we're seeing now due to the interest rates, I really don't see real estate going down anytime soon. So you're talking about immigration. I'm an immigrant myself. I was born and raised in the Netherlands. I came over here when I was about 20. I have hired many, many immigrants in my companies. I've got a fellow here from South Africa. I've got an accountant whose recent arrival from India. Wonderful people, but the numbers are staggering on immigration. Currently, and you can look this up, there's a backlog of some 2.7 million applications due to the COVID pandemic slowdown at Immigration Canada. So on average, Canada allows about 400,000 immigrants each year. This adds tremendous pressure to the housing supply, because we're already short of houses, as everyone needs a roof over their head, whether they're going to rent or buy. It adds pressure to the healthcare system, the roads, as we can see all around us, public transportation, resources, parks, etc. So, if you look at the reports, the numbers are crazy. There's a CMHC report that Canada will be short some 3.5 million homes by the year 2030. Just let that sink wow. in for a minute. Yeah. So, the government is saying, we got to build more houses. Well, we are also a developer, and it's almost impossible to find trades as it is. So let's say we want to double the amount of houses that we are going to build. Where are we going to find those trades? It takes a while to put people through school. Another factor is foreign students. Now, despite a student housing shortage being foreseeable, post-secondary institutions have reaped massive benefits from international students. They pay a lot more in tuition dollars. However, the schools don't responsibly provide enough appropriate accommodations to house them. So in the process, they're inflicting pain on the students because it's almost impossible for a student to find a place to stay, and the communities that they inhabit, which of course happen to be the big cities, that's where the schools are. So look at the numbers. The total number of study port pyramid holders nearly doubled between 2015 and 2019. Last year, Canada approved a record-setting 450,000 new study permits for a total of 622,000 foreign students. Now, for post-secondary institutions, that's very, very profitable because they charge them much higher fees. Uh, Their income, according to what you can find online, by Canadian universities went from $1.5 billion to almost $7 billion in 2019. That's also a boon to landlords. If you have a place you can rent out, you might prefer renting to, to students because between academic years, as these students tend to move on, you can raise the rent. And in some cases, if you do speak to a lot of young people, they get away with much lower maintenance standards by putting them up in places that you know need renovations. So those are right. two factors that combine pressure again on the real estate market. 
Yeah, and uh, that's something that uh, a lot of people don't think about. But I, I know that the the average rents in the Lower Mainland increased quite sharply between August and this September, and uh, a lot of that blame, according to this report from the BC Real Estate Association, or some of the blame anyway, comes from all the students who are coming into the Lower Mainland and they need a place to stay. Another factor that I want to ask you, Ralph Vanderwall from Easy Invest, easy-invest.ca, is, is something you hear a lot about. And if you own a, a home in Vancouver, it affects you because you have to fill out the empty homes tax. And that's a big concern. People buying homes from other countries and then just letting these houses sit empty. And at best, it's just investment that isn't you know, allowing people to live in that these homes, but at worst, it's actually money laundering, isn't it? And that's a problem. Yeah, money laundering is a problem. Uh, I moved back to Vancouver about ten years ago, and back then, money laundering was a rumor. Uh, investment from foreign countries, you know, mostly out of Asia, was a rumor. If you would bring it up, people will call you a racist. Now, it's a known fact. Everybody knows about it. In fact. There's a book that came out a few years ago, which is a must-read. If you're interested in real estate and trying to figure out what's happened to the markets here, it's a book called Willful Blindness by Sam Cooper. He used to be an investigative reporter with the Vancouver Sun, I believe. When you read that book, you got to put it down every couple of pages because it is so blatantly offensive to the legal system, what's been happening around this. that you, It's like eating a really, really bad, heavy, heavy meal. You, you just have to stop. <laughs> and you pick it up again in a few days. That's how bad, that's how good this book is. Get this. The estimates run as high as $150 billion, with a B, in laundered money, which has been invested in real estate. That also drives prices up. Now, some of that money comes from foreign countries. Wherever those countries are, people want to take their money out of their country for whatever reason and put it in a safe country. Good for them. But once it goes into the country, it goes into real estate. Another factor is drugs. There's an incredible amount of drugs being sold all over the world. Those, that money comes in 20s. You cannot take a, a truckload of 20s to the bank, so they go to places like casinos where they play for a little while and they get a casino check. That's where it's laundered. When you read this book, you're going to look at casinos in a whole, whole different light, let me <laughs> tell you that. And that then goes into real estate. So if you have so much supply of money competing for investments in real estate, prices will go up. Right. Uh, we're talking to Ralph Vanderwall from Easy Invest. Uh, easy-invest.ca is the website. Um, and you help people invest in real estate. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the, the products and services that uh, Easy Invest has that that allows people to really benefit from what's going on in real estate in Canada and what is likely to, to keep going on over the years. Let's talk about some of that stuff. You bet. So you basically have two scenarios here. If you're part of the younger generation, you've just come out of school, you've got a nice education, or you're working, you're saving up for a house. You've, in Toronto and Vancouver, you've landed in the perfect nightmare because chances are you will never buy a house in these cities. You're going to have to move somewhere to a smaller community where it's cheaper or move to Calgary, which many people are doing, where houses tend to be half or even a third of the cost. Right. That's the nightmare. Now, the second opportunity is if you have money, for example, if you're older, you've built up some, some wealth, some equity, or you have been in the real estate market for the last 20 years or more, you've done very well. Now you've got money to invest. And you can reap the benefits of a situation where real estate 
is pretty much a guaranteed safe haven because you got all these factors combining to keep pressure on this real estate system that we have allowed to happen. So how, do you, how can you benefit? You can invest in real estate. Now, you can buy a property, but especially in Vancouver and Toronto, most people just don't have enough cash to buy a second property by themselves, especially not now with, with interest rates moving up. Now, others have money sitting dormant in an RSP or in a TFSA, and you cannot use that for real estate either. You're going to have to take it out of the TFSA to invest, or you have to take it out of the RSP to buy investment real estate. That's not a good plan because you pay high taxes. So what we've done, about five years ago, we set up a mutual fund trust. That mutual fund trust gets investor money, and then it buys real estate to either hold or real estate to develop. Now, through this trust, everyone can invest with as little as $10,000. You can use cash or you can use registered funds that are sitting in dormant accounts and possibly earn higher returns than what you're earning on those funds right now. So you're saying that this is a way to to put money in real estate in an RRSP or a TFSA, which which you can't have a, like a single piece of real estate in. Correct. Yeah. So you need a vehicle in between, such as a mutual fund trust. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so and and this it, it it says here it pays out six percent per annum, uh, plus a share of the profits. So so it can be much more than that. It can be. So what we've done with this trust is we pay a fixed target interest. That means that every year if you invest, uh, let's say $100,000, you can invest as little as 10000 But for ease of calculation, if you invest 100 you make $6,000 a year at 6%, and we pay that monthly on or around the 15th. That's a base interest rate. But whenever we have a project that gets built or a project that gets sold, then we take 20% of the profit, the net profit, and we share that pro rata with the investors. Now, your total return in our current project looks to be around 15 to 16%, 15 to 16% per annum. Mm-hmm. And let's talk in the, the couple of minutes that we have left uh, about a current project that you have that looks very interesting, the Beach House. Yeah, so our current project is a piece of land that we acquired about five years ago. We went through the rezoning, the development permit, the building permits. It's just about 20 minutes north of Comox on Vancouver Island. It's a beautiful beach called Saratoga Beach. So we finally got our permits to build 30 townhouses right on a beach. We did a sales campaign to pre-sell these units last summer. And lo and behold, we sold them within about 40 days, all 30. And we got the highest prices per square foot on the island at that time. Uh, we started construction in October. We're now about 65% constructed, and we expect to be on schedule for delivery of these units in March, early April of next year. Wow, sounds interesting. And and uh, this trust is looking at buying uh, other projects in the Lower Mainland as well. Yeah, so the funds that went into Beach House will become available again to the Mutual Fund Trust in April. So we are now evaluating projects uh, where we don't have to go through the rezoning. We don't have to do all the work to get to a development permit. We're looking at buying out properties where someone has done that already. So they've got a piece of land where we can do 10 townhouses, 20 townhouses, because demand for housing, as we've discussed, is huge. So when you build these townhouses on a piece of land that is close to getting its permits, 
you shorten the time that you can turn your capital around. So our next projects will likely be turned around in a year and a half to two years, allowing for more profit-sharing events. Mm -hmm. Always interesting to talk to Ralph Vanderwall from Easy Invest. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure, Martin. Yeah, and if you would like to learn more about Easy Invest, just go online, easy-invest.ca. They're based in Richmond, and uh, you can learn everything you need to know about how you can get in and benefit from the real estate market in the lower mainland. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a crazy world. And if you have experts who know how, how it works, uh, you can do quite well. This is Vancouver Consumer. And when we come back, it's the story of the first train robbery ever in BC. It happened on this day, September 10th in 1904. And why the man behind the robbery became famous as the gentleman bandit. Uh, you have may have uh, been in his pub. The story about Billy Miner is next. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. And did you know it was exactly 122 years ago today that BC had its first train robbery? It happened September 10th, 1904. It was 9.30 at night, four miles outside of Mission. So imagine in 1904, outside of Mission, that was the middle of nowhere. On its way to Seattle, the train was engineered by Nat Scott, who was suddenly surprised by a man with a gun. Two other guys appeared, and they forced him to stop the train. And one of the things that was written about in the Vancouver newspapers about this robbery was just how polite the leader of the crooks was. He uh, checked the engineer to make sure he didn't have a gun, But he then let him keep his wallet and watch. Didn't hurt anybody. There were passengers on the train. One of them was Vancouver millionaire W.H. Malkin, the guy they named the Malkin Bowl at Stanley Park after. But they didn't have to worry. Uh, The three crooks didn't go near the passenger car. Instead, they ransacked an empty express car, stealing 4,000 bucks worth of gold dust, as well as $50,000 in U.S. bonds and $250,000 in Australian securities. The whole thing took less than 30 minutes. No one was hurt. The newspaper started calling the group's leader the Gentleman Bandit. And he would become even more famous in the years to come by his real name, Billy Miner. You may have heard of Billy Miner. You may have had Billy Miner pie at the keg. It's a delicious dessert. Or you may have had a drink at the Billy Miner pub in Maple Ridge. Well, the Canadian Pacific Railway weren't so enamored uh, of the gentleman bandit, though. The CPR was responsible for the 300 grand or so worth of stolen stuff. So they would hire Pinkerton agents to track down the crooks. They also offered an $11,000 reward, but it didn't work. Billy Miner would remain at large for another year and a half, committing another robbery in Oregon and then spending some time in the interior using an alias. Two years later, he would be caught by police in Kamloops in 1906 after a train robbery he was involved in there went bad. Miner would escape from BC Penitentiary a year later. He was never recaptured in Canada. He served some prison time in the States, escaping twice, and it was after that last escape 
that Billy Miner died in prison in uh, because of gastritis. Apparently, he drank some bad water when he was on the run in Georgia, and then they threw him back in jail and he died. You might remember the movie from the 80s, The Gray Fox. That was all about the life and times of Billy Miner, the mastermind behind BC's first ever train robbery on this day, 122 years ago. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong, and we'll have more coming up, including a story about how the BC government is hoping to give you some relief from the rising cost of living. That's coming up, so stick around. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. 